Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we welcome Bill Zaylor onto the show. Welcome, Bill. Welcome, Bill. How are you? Good. Thanks, Jason Peely. Appreciate it. Oh, it's amazing to have you. So it seems that we we get a common theme and we love to see it, that we have pilots who yes. be, who make great real estate investors. And uh, Bill is following that trend today. So we're very excited to have you on the show, hear a little bit more about your journey. And why don't you give us a, just a quick blurb on a little brief, uh, brief background on you? Okay. Yeah. Uh, my name is uh, Bill Zaylor and uh, started Park Capital Properties here about a year ago to focus strictly on the multifamily um, investment side of it. I've been into um, single family rentals. I lived out in uh, Arizona and I think we eight of them out there or six of them in Arizona and two in uh, Idaho. We basically um, would build kind of the, uh, the Burr strategy, I guess we'd, we'd build one actually, and then live in a little bit till the next one got built on the contract and just keep, they can move five times out there in about four years. So and wow. kept, kept it as a rental and, and kept going that way. But, kind of phased out of that uh, over time and came and decided to get in the, uh, the multifamily, just the numbers look better. And as a, as a kind of an exit strategy for flying also to do it full time and make a full time career of that, it uh, works better number wise. So That's yeah. great. Do you still hold those houses? I uh, know I don't. I've uh, got out of everything out West now and uh, strictly focused on the, uh, the multifamily side of it. Okay. For, for listeners, give us a little more feedback by, while you're making this choice to go from single-family homes to multifamily home. Uh, I think it just the, uh, the size of the deals, the numbers, the cash flow, uh, it's scalable at a much quicker rate uh, than you know, looking to buy you know, one house at a you know, quarter, one house a, even a month would take a long time. And, and just the, uh, the numbers don't quite work out, I guess, when you look at the long-term plan to, you know, my goal is to, you know, the next five years to have you know, three to 5,000 units. So it's, you know, at a full-time job and where I can do with a single family, I don't want to do that much, I guess, uh, you know, work as in finding them and running them and managing them and all that. So yeah, just the, the numbers make sense as a business model, I think. Well, great goals. I want to, yeah. I want to learn a little bit more about you though, Bill, what made you get into real estate in the first place? Cause you're a pilot. What, how do you go from being a pilot to a real estate investor? Yeah, I moved, um, I guess flying also has almost too many choices. You can live wherever you want because you can just commute to work. So I've lived in a lot of nice places. And uh, when I was out, moved out to um, Phoenix, Arizona, I had some friends that lived there in Scottsdale that I knew from Ohio growing up. And they were getting into the uh, investment side of it back then. And it was a good time to be in it. And talking to them, decided to uh, to join them. And we had like our own little mastermind group. And <laughs> for you know several years, that's kind of, we, we all were buying in that area. Uh, it was a lot of growth and it was a good time to be be in the market out there. So it um, was really exciting and found it was something I really enjoyed doing and liked everything about it. So I just wanted to always keep a hand in it. And even when I phased out of that, I, you know, coming back here to Asheville, North Carolina, where I'm at now, ended up buying a, um, a short sale. The uh, builders had ran out of money about 85% through and there was, there was kind of at, at the downturn cycle of it. So, you know, bought into that and fixed it up and held it for a few years, sold it. But yeah, I always just want like, I guess I like how creative you can be at it. You know, it's only only limited by your own imagination on what you can do with it and how far you can take it. So, we're, yeah, well said. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you have an amazing goal: three thousand to five thousand units. How do you get there? How do you get there from from where you are today? 
Yeah, I think um, partnering with the right people, um, having the right uh, coaches and mentors um, as we go of, of um, a lot of good networking around here. I found too um, some of the uh, people local here in Charlotte and Nashville that are uh, good size syndicators. Now they have four to 5,000 units each working with them, talk to them on a, at least a monthly basis on the different projects here that have, like I said, have a, um, a mentor for his um, on my advisory board, uh, Joe, for, for the uh, multifamily side of it. And then uh, another business coach, Trevor, for that side. So yeah, just all in on, on trying to make sure this uh, all works for me. Well, let's talk a little bit more about mentorship. You just mentioned Joe and Trevor, and I happen to know exactly who Bill ta- is talking about. He's talking about Joe Fairless um, and Trevor McGregor. Why don't you tell us more about how both these gentlemen as mentors, as coaches have helped you take like take your business to the next next level. And before you get there, we've actually had Joe Fairless and Trevor both on prior episodes. Yes. Go back and uh, you can hear a little bit more about their backstory, but uh, they definitely are great at adding value and want to dive into a little bit more about how they're helping you. Absolutely. Um, I guess on the, uh, on the purely on the real estate side of it, um, I guess with Joe Fairless's program, I've been with uh, February of this year, I guess of 2017, uh, started with Joe and it's been been great. Uh, you know, the one-on-one, you know, running deals by him, the, the strategic guidance, I guess, and the kind of the big picture. Um, also like the, you know, some of the thought leadership platforms, the, we started the uh, Asheville Multifamily Investor Club. I started that as a meetup group. It's been a great um, conduit to have, you know, high level people come in. I want as far as uh, brokers from Charlotte, um, Tony uh, speaking, Azar from uh, MACC, which partner speaking the end of this month for us. So yeah, it's just a great way to network and meet high level people in that, in that arena, as far as growing and, and getting in front of the right people. I guess so it's been, uh, but it's been great working with Joe. I, you know, recommend it highly. And, and then the same for Trevor on the, uh, the business side of it. It's, um, you know, kind of a big picture. What do you need to be thinking about? What, uh, where, where, where do you need to be spending your time? It's, um, it's been great with Trevor also. I mean, you know, so their, their guidance is, uh, invaluable and, uh, yeah, I look forward to working with them for a long time in the future. Sure. Let's yeah. dive into this a little bit deeper. So yeah. you're, you're in single family homes. How do you, you, you have eight homes and how do you make that mind shift into three to 5,000 units? Cause lots of people are they're hesitant just to buy that first home. And now they're hearing that you have a goal, a reachable goal of three to 5,000 units. How do you get to that point where you can just mentally get there? It, it was, it did take a little time, you know, it was, it was over time. Uh, you know, I listen, you know, I read a lot, I enjoy reading. I've read, you know, a lot of people have, um, you know, very good books on the subject, the podcast was a long time, but it was really just, I think, you know, talking to one-on-one people and, and seeing them progress also through it, you know, as they acquire, you know, more and more units on a, you know, consistent basis or doing a full time. And, um, Joe, just as a model, you know, he was, you know, four years ago was in a corporate world and he transitioned to, uh, to multifamily and, you know, go from basically four, four houses out there. I think he has to $190 million in real estate today. I mean, it's impressive. So, but you know, 190 now, it is, I mean, yeah, I think when we talked to him, it was at like 135. 135, 160. Yeah, it's like it's like a ticker. I, I can't. It, exactly. <laughs> Every couple of months. One, so, yeah. I mean, his his mind is set. I mean, his mind is set at at a billion dollars in real estate, and and, and he's already there. In his mind is already there, and that's what. Yeah. So. But isn't it crazy how you see these mentors and you see other people doing it, and just by seeing other people do it, what, what's that story with a four minute mile? Once it happens, right. you know it's possible. Right. And that's why mentorship is so key. So key. That's a- absolutely. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, I mean, you you see them, you, you hear it, but in abstract, it's kind of sometimes you, you hear stories and like, oh, you know, Sam Zell or somebody you know, has, you know, billions of dollars real estate. It's it's amazing, but you don't really know them. But as you get to know people and, and see them as they progress, it's it seems much more real, I guess, to me. And having that, you know, that one-on-one and actually watching them, you know, say something and then actually turn around and do it also. I mean, they're, you know, they're also, they're actively closing on deals, they're actively underwriting, they're actively you know, searching new, new opportunity out versus something it did something in the past. It's, it's real time and it's, you can, you know, ride along and learn from them. And it's been great. Yeah. That's awesome. And you're in North Carolina and that's the market you're focusing on currently. I'm, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. The, um, the numbers don't make much sense here as far as, uh, as the apartment goes. Um, so we're mainly focused in Greenville, South Carolina and Charlotte, North Carolina right now is the, the two markets I'm most focused on. But they're you know hour hour and a half from here, so it's all close. Sure. And how do you, how do you put together finding deals and and sh- and looking to expand your market, find your team? Give us some context about how you're forming out your partnerships there. Right. Um, in the uh, in the brokerage space, I guess we've there's been several uh, introductions I've had from either people uh, that I'm working with, like sit here in Asheville, or um, some people I know out of um, some syndicators out of uh, Gastonia, actually. Um, Tony there. So there's been a lot of good contact that way. I've met some people from their teams um, and other broker contacts that way. So it's in the networking. Um, go to, I went to the syndicating conference there in uh, Dallas last month, going to the one here in Knoxville um, that the um, Jake and Gina are putting on over Great. there. So yeah, again, it's like a local area. Yeah. Yep. And going to, of course, Joe's out there in February in Denver, but you know, just trying to be around the right people and the right introductions. And it seems like it's uh, going well that way. Meaning a lot it's of like we're going to be able to meet you at uh, two different conferences. We're going to yep. be both at Gina, Jake and Gino's conference and at Joe's. Okay, great. Yeah. 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 It's coming up here with the uh, 11th and 12th, right? Yeah. Coming right on us. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great. So building out what is, what has been the first step when you're going, like, so why are you choosing these markets? Why are you, why are you looking in South Carolina and Greenville, South Carolina? What, what is it stands out about that particular city that you said, well, this is where my focus is going to be. And to give you a little bit more background on that question, like for like somebody that's looking for a market, what would you look for if somebody's just starting out? Yeah, I, th- I think it has to be a, a, a well-diversified job base. There's a lot of jobs coming there. There's a lot of man- and, and good paying jobs too. Like there's some other markets around the North Carolinas here that I can't really, put, like Asheville, for instance, I can point to this professional class of, you know, the doctors, business owner, attorneys, and there's hospitality staff, but in the middle there, other than like Mission Health, or there's not that many broad jobs. For Greenville, I think there's um, like 241 direct foreign investment in the city of Greenville County, the BMW, Michelin, Floor. There's a lot of large manufacturers, a lot of jobs. It's growing. Uh, the economy's growing. The jobs are coming there. So, you know, people are following that. The apartments, would be, it's, a, it's a good area to, to invest in down there as far as it's a, a thriving, thriving area as far as jobs and growth and all that. The economy. That's you know, great. Downtown, a lot of a lot of uh, money put in the downtown over the last five years. It's uh, and same with Charlotte. You know, Charlotte. I think it's the number two financial center right behind New York Center or New York City as far as um, you know the money that rolls through there. So it's uh, both good areas. 
So when you're looking for apartment complexes, Mm -hmm. how do you specify what you're looking for? How do you help yourself along the path where where you can help brokers and other people around you know what the right investment is for you? Are you looking for, you know, five units, 200 units? Is there some kind of parameters that you try and set your sights on that will help you get your goal? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. We're we're looking uh, between 100, 150 unit deals, uh, mainly class B, uh, stabilized. So they're, you know, going to be at least, you know, 95% occupied. Um, so with a value add component to it. So maybe they need to have, um, you know, from rubs to rebranding them to, um, basically, uh, the, the CapEx is like, if you want to do renovate the units you can drive force depreciation that way. So anything with that kind of play in the hundred to 150 unit range, class B or possibly class C in a B neighborhood, like something would be, would be interested in. So that's kind of our, our criteria on that 1980s and newer and, that's great. What, what makes it stand out for you? So why, why 1980s and newer? Why, why 100 to 150? Where do those numbers stand out for you? Yeah, uh, some of the older stuff, there's a lot of other issues. Um, I think even as far as functional obsolescence on, on some of the early, early stuff uh, and the neighborhoods. And, and so a lot of it has more deferred maintenance to the cost of keeping up. But from the, you know, the 80s is about where I think a lot of the B product is in that area. So we can still just go in and you know spend four to 5,000 per unit, you know, do rid of it. If the, if the market rent um, supports it, uh, can spend that and then drive the, um, if you spend even like $5,000 a unit on a hundred unit building would be a $500,000 CapEx improvement. If you can increase $75 rent, you know, per unit at that point, you're 90,000 a year at a um, uh, six and a half cap. I think it's like around $1.3 million forced depreciation. You can add the value to the property that, you know, wasn't there before. So that's, some things, especially in this market, something of interest to us that um, versus buying for yield and hoping for appreciation, we can find that sweet spot. That, and I think it's, I think it's the most um, insulated too. I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about you know the A. If there's going to be a contraction at any point, people are going to give up their two thousand or you know three thousand um, dollar a month apartments and come back down to that eight hundred to twelve hundred dollar range. That's they're not building it anymore. I mean, because the price of land's the same, construction's. Roughly the same. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, you have a little bit of, I think, barrier entry in that, in that um, class. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your business is doing really, really well. I want to kind of dive deep, a little deeper into it. Can you kind of describe an episode, something that happened in your business that was a great lesson learned for our listeners? Um, I would and this isn't on, on this business, but prior in Scottsdale, okay. um, it was a, uh, as far as a less, a harder lesson learned, I guess would be, uh, I was doing, doing really well in a uh, single family. It was a great time to be in it also. I mean, it was just a great time to be in real estate out there in general. And then we're doing really good to the areas we picked. Uh, we're doing well. And then decided to diversify into um, commercial multifam or a commercial, I'm sorry, but just commercial office buildings. And the guy that was who had been managing all our properties there had a large portfolio, uh, managed, you know, probably thousands of units there in the Phoenix area. Um, it all looked right. Went in partnership with him and it, uh, you know, a lot of delays, a lot of excuses, you know, and eventually turned out to, we found out it was, you know, it wasn't, wasn't above board. Um, ended up in, you know, a couple of year lawsuit over it wow. and my timing was right. I, luckily it was just pure luck that, um, I got a settlement and then six months later, there was a guy behind me, much bigger player, apparently out of, uh, I think Salt Lake that, uh, didn't settle, took it all the way. And it, it closed up that other company from fraud and other, 
allegation. So I guess the, the lesson there is to be very sure who you uh, partner with uh, on deals. You know, I didn't apparently do enough due diligence that it, it looked right. There's a lot of stuff happening, yep. a lot of current things, but it, um, it, it didn't, it didn't work out. Well, it ended okay for me, but it was like, I said, it was just luck on the timing. If I'd been reversed and been behind the other guy first, I, I would have got nothing back out of it, which was, you know, several hundred thousand dollars invested in it that would, uh, been a painful lesson to learn. Yeah. Well, let, I, I don't want to rip off a bandaid, but let's go back there a little bit and just, just, we're trying to help people that if they are partnering with someone, what right. would be something that you would do today to, to better, we'll say, analyze that partnership, do a little better due diligence. What were some, some things that, that you, you know, things can always be missed. And sometimes it's, it's of course, it's hard to always know, you know, have the crystal ball, but <laughs> what, what would be some things that you think now today that you would have done differently? I, I definitely should have vetted um, the the group better. I guess you know I, I said I was I, I was familiar with them because I was using them as a property management group. It worked fine for that. I could see the scale they had. He was a well known guy out there at the time. It, it all looked good on the service, but I, I would have needed. I guess I should have gone and talked to seen other business deals had done, talked to other partners he'd had in the past, how they'd worked out currently. What he, and and as it turns out, he hadn't didn't have much experience in the commercial side of it either. So that was, uh, should have been a red flag, I guess, for me that, um, he was very successful in the residential side, but didn't have that much in the commercial side and was just trying to, to make some money on the spread between there. And it, it didn't work out. And, uh, but there was, there was an honesty factor in there too, of course, but but uh, between the, but yeah, from my point of view, what I should have, I definitely should have, um, made sure I had seen some of the deals that had talked to some partners that, that had worked with them before in that type of deal, not just in, in real estate in general, but specifically commercial real estate. And I think some of that could have been avoided. Um, there probably were signs, you know, missed them at the time in hindsight, it's much clearer, but. Um, no, that's great. Cause honestly, what you said there is that success in one space, whether it be single family homes or trailer parks, doesn't necessarily mean that, that you can, multiply that success into a different space because it's a whole different beast. And I find myself always having shiny object syndrome where, you know, <laughs> one day I'm here, the next thing I'm buying, you know, this, and that's why I have this Donut one, shop. this one who, who basically <laughs> at the starting line. So I don't get too far into it, you know, because if next thing you know, I'll have, you know, three car washes, a donut shop, a restaurant. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> like what just happens, you know, but that's, yeah, absolutely. And that's, he, he was a, he was a good salesman. I mean, just in, in general, you know, was a charismatic guy and, you know, like, oh, that all sounds good. All sounds good. The, you know, the numbers they showed were good, but you know, it, it didn't work out. To, it was more like a pro forma that, you know, here's our best case scenario. And they didn't, yeah. it didn't pan out to that. So yeah, but you know, wow. lesson learned from that. And so I, I, I would say that, that you hit on a key point there. So the, he gave you the best case scenario, which, which of course, sure, we all want that, but you're now syndicating your deals going forward. So when you're presenting to your investors, how do you, how do you put together a presentation that, that one gives them the opportunity that that's in front of you, but, but on a realistic scale, how do you, how do you preface this? Right. We, uh, we're, we're not basing anything on, um, uh, like a lot of stuff now you see, I think underwritten kind of it, like the best case, like, um, I use Dallas guy here that a lot as an example, but you know, rent growth has been, you know, seven or 8% and people project that out into the future, which it obviously can't continue. I mean, the jobs, the, the jobs, um, increase isn't happening at the same rate. So they just can't have a divergence of income and, and rental growth at the same part. So we'd always underwrite to like the long-term average, anything long-term cap rates, I wouldn't expect them to, um, continue to compress. Obviously I think at some point they're going to reverse and the prices will start 
start coming down on, on these, uh, assets. So, I mean, like the long-term average of that, you know, at least, at least 50, or, you know, yeah, 50 base points higher on that, or, um, assuming the more conservative underwriting to do like a quarter per year. So if you had five years, you underwriting at 1.25 higher cap rate, um, on your sale and the exit. So just trying to be conservative on all the underwriting to make it realistic as possible. And then we always hope to, you know, of course the under, under promise and over deliver side of it versus best case, you know, broker pro forma that, you know, if everything works perfectly, this will happen, but you know, yeah. it seldom does. So that's amazing. We, yeah. Try, try to definitely make sure we, um, can mitigate the risk the best we can and all the things that are controllable on our part. Let's talk a little bit more about the uh, underprice and overdeliver. Um, mm-hmm. How do you go about doing that? How do you uh, protect yourself in these, uh, in these properties? Um, I guess yeah, picking, you know, the correct market on the, you know, the macro level first, make sure we have the right market, the right jobs. Uh, nothing's tied to like any one industry. You know, there's an example of course of uh, you know, Detroit with automotive or Houston back in the eighties, anyhow with the oil, you know, anything that's too dependent, you know, 30 some percent, one market, obviously we don't want anything like that. Um, so a good, a lot of good jobs and diversity of employment, not just one employer, um, on the, on that economic side of it. And then, and then, uh, just the asset, like I said, if we, the, the B I think has a special niche in there that people will come down from a, but there won't be as many concessions, I think toward the, the B product because, you can't build it and you have, they're going to live somewhere and they're not going to go down to, you know, C or D neighborhoods, certainly. Yep. So I think you have some insulation in there um, for several years anyhow until we, you know, 10 years from now, the a, current A stuff will start moving down to B. But I think you have a, a good runway there as far as uh, into the future, as far as things we can do. And, and then, you know, if it ca- it's cash flowing, stabilized properties on day one, so we're not looking to turn it around. If we can't fill it up, then we have a problem. It's already, you know, going to be, you know, 90, 95% occupied. We're just going to, take the, a good business and, and make it better. That's and, great. Nice. Yeah, so why would you focus on properties that maybe don't have so much upside, but, but instead of properties that maybe are 60% occupied or have a, have, you know, 25,000 hours a unit capex in there, what, what, what would be differentiating for investors looking to get into this space? Yeah, I think, I think it's mainly the, uh, your appetite for risk, I guess on that. Our, I, I'm looking for definitely a more stabilized, like I said, from day one, I have a cash flow. So, it, you know, there's a lot of debate where we are in the cycle. And we're most people, I think, would uh, agree that we're probably closer to the top than we are at the bottom. So if the market does turn, we can always just stop doing renovations, cash flow the property for a few years until it, it, the market picks back up. And then we can continue with the renovations. But it's it's not that we get time wrong, like flipping a house or something like that. If you right at the very top of the market and you can't sell it and you're stuck with it, this way, at least we can just hold tight cash flow, and then when it picks back up, start back the renovation. So it's, I think it's a, um, a safer business plan. Like I said, that you know there is always the risk reward ratio, but I think um, I can sleep at night with this this plan. Yeah. That's great, <laughs> important. Yeah, yep. no, most definitely. So we've like deep dived into your business. Now I want to go back and deep dive back into you. Mm-hmm. What? And this is a question we love to ask everybody. What is your big why? Why do you do this? Yeah. Well, I, I love real estate for one. And I love the, um, like I said, how creative, and you're only limited by your, um, your crea- how creative you can be, your ability to, to see things and, and solve problems. Um, like I said, the other profession in flying, it's, you know, you're, you're, it's all pretty much set. It's all, you know, written in stone ahead of time. There's only so much you can do. I'm, I'm at the top of the game in that market already. And 
And for the next 20 years, I don't want to just stay there. I want to, you know, keep continuing to grow and, and do new things. But uh, one of the other main reasons I have um, three little girls, so I want to have a, uh, a business I can leave to them. And if they want to work with me in the business, they get older, that'll, that'll be great also. But it, it um, buys you freedom, I think, the, uh, the time and the freedom, the money will buy time. And, you know, be able to take off for, you know, a couple of months in the summer and, you know, go to Italy or somewhere you want to go, you know, just be able to enjoy life, I guess, versus being on somebody else's schedule and, and plan. Freedom and time. Love it. it. Yeah. yeah. So you get to these 5,000 units that you're going to be at mm-hmm. in year five. Where's your end game? Where do you go from there? Uh, 10,000. Yeah. I love it. That's the easy Yeah. We just double that. Yeah. Do it. Double down. platform, but. Yeah, like I said, definitely do uh, be full time, doing it full time, uh, right. and uh, you know, get around that critical. I think mark of you know three to five thousand units. I think would allow some. I would definitely look at other options at that point, as far as um, if I want to have a property management company in house or something along those lines. It would you know dovetail into the current business. It would also you know feed it you, if you're managed properties and you know off market. You could find out if somebody's interested in selling or. There's certain things I think can benefit your your business as a whole, also with being more connected to to the industry that way. But yeah, it's just it's great for. So if this is the first time someone's listened to a real estate podcast, give us a, a piece that would be something they could do today to get started actively in multifamily. Right. Um, well, if there's a podcast, they're obviously they have an interest in the education. You know, continue to listen to podcast, read all the usual things, but. I think the main thing would be um, to get out actually in the space and network with people. You never know who knows the person you need to know. I mean, so I think it's incredibly important to, you know, go to the meetup groups, the real estate Korea meetings, um, the different conferences we're talking about. Um, you know, I think it's it just, I think that's, you know, let people know what you want to do. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they show up and they're just kind of listening, but you know, tell people if you want to get into multifamily, that's what you're looking to do. And there's, there's going to be somebody at the meeting that can point you to the person that's doing that at a higher level than you. And I think, it, I think it's, um, Tony Robbins that always says, you know, success leads clues. So, yeah. you know, follow that person and, and, you know, learn from them. And, and most everybody I've, like I said, reached out to that are doing it at a high level. They've been more than generous with their time. You know, they're, they're all willing to help. Um, like I said, uh, Tony there is coming down, um, in two weeks to speak at our local meeting here in Asheville. Um, uh, about property management and, and syndication in general. So it's, yeah, they've all been, you know, super, super helpful on anything you'd ask. And um, I've been really, uh, really surprised and pleasantly surprised. We uh, started the meetup here and it's been amazing, strictly designated for multifamily. And it's just right. amazing the value that has come from there. And we've Absolutely. had great ideas come from people who have a ton of property and people who first meeting and it's been just incredible, the energy. So yeah, yeah. Kudos to you. That's an awesome step. I think, I think it's important. I actually wrote one of the little articles I wrote on, on my um, blog was about being around like-minded people, you know, just the, yeah. the ideas you get just from being around the people. I mean, as much as the conference I went to, it was the people I met there that were doing things at a higher level and it just, you know, it was motivational. Like some of the ideas that they come up with or just talking to them, you come up with, you know, as you're, as you're in that kind of environment, I think it's critical to advance. A few more questions before we let you go. So what are some words you live by? Um, as far as like quotes and sayings, I, uh, I think actually this comes from, um, 
uh, Trevor, but it was the, uh, the lions don't lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. I always uh, yes. that over my office, uh, headboard up there to, <laughs> but I, I, I think that's a good quote to, you know, do your own thing and, you know, know what your goals and vision are and, and stick with them. There's always going to be people that, you know, aren't on board with it, but, um, you know, time, time takes care of that. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank sure. you for that. That's, that, that's fun. Point. We love it. Yeah. We love <laughs> it. So if people, I would like to reach out and hear a little bit more about your story, talk to you a little bit more about what you're doing. What's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, yeah, my uh, website, uh, parkcapitalproperties.com or uh, my email would be bill at parkcapitalproperties.com. Great. And your blog's on there as well? Uh, you have blogs on there, uh, LinkedIn account, Facebook, all that links from, from that page. So um, phone numbers on there. Uh, everything's on any feel free to reach out and be glad to have a conversation with anybody that's interested. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for being on our show. It was a pleasure having you in honor. This is great. Well, thank thank you guys so much, Jason and Peely. It's uh, great. I love your podcast and thanks for everything you're doing to to get the word out. And I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. And thank you to all the listeners out there. So this is Jason and Peely for the REI Foundation podcast. Thank you again so much to Bill Zaylor for being on our show. Bye now. Bye now. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.